Welcome to this edition of Free Speak, a podcast of the Namibia Media Trust, and I'm Gwen Lister. 30 years of independence is a celebration in itself, especially as we freed ourselves from decades of colonialism and apartheid. But it's been a long and hard road, and the youth have very strong opinions about where Namibia is today as a country. Investigative journalist in Dapuashali Shapwanale so we have the people, but are they ready to step up? And lawyer and activist, Nafimani Halwenda. We don't have a large group of young people who say we stand against corruption. Mm. Truly. Are my guests to talk about problems and solutions and what the youth can do to make ours a success story. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Let Thank me you start so out by saying, 30 years on, what do you see as the major problems and the major gains? of independence. Nafimani, can we start with you? Well, I think it's easier to start with the um, major problems. Yeah. And I think it's, it's good that you indicated that we come from a um, society of systemic racism. And I think one of the major problems is a lack of ideology. The liberation struggle wasn't just about fight. It was about an ideology to free the people. And I think that is a major lack if you're looking at um, a post-dependent um, society. Any positives that you can think of? Well, the positives, definitely there's, there's some positives. Um, if I'm going to be honest, um, the positives come mostly in the form of um, a peaceful society. Mm-hmm. I think the tourism industry is flourishing, but if, if, if we're looking at um, the basic amenities and the fact that most people don't have basic amenities, the positives are mostly just the fact that Namibia is a peaceful country and the tourism industry could flourish. Good point. Mm-hmm. Dr. Shali, what about you? I'd say um, leadership is our biggest problem at the moment without uh, pointing out, I'm, I'm not saying the head of state per se, mm-hmm. but leadership in itself on all levels. In general. In general. Uh, we have a, a very big leg. And again, I think it's because of, uh, like Nafimani said, ideology. Um, we don't have an idea of where, what exactly we want to lead the people into what exactly, how exactly we want Namibia to be led in this time. Back then the fight was liberation, now it's economic emancipation and other and social um, social fairness, but then we lack a leadership, proper leadership, that also dwindles down to the last person to from executive down to local authority. There is a big lack of proper leadership there. The good, I think, is because we have systems um, systems in place. Um, I've visited a number of African countries where the f- not even just refuge refusal, uh, a, a removal is a problem. Mm-hmm. It, there's no system for something that small. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing that if, if one day your dustbin is not picked up in a week, you can even call people to come pick it up. So we have systems in place. Our judiciary, I think, is is the fact the separation of powers, number one, and all those other systems that make the country work. We have that. So for me, that's the positive. The negative is leadership. We'd like your feedback too. So please listen in and join the discussion on the NMT feeds on Facebook, Twitter, and on SoundCloud. Nafimani, where do you, where would you have liked us to have been 30 years after? What would you have liked to see Namibia be, if you like, right now? I hope I'm not overshooting the mark when I say this, but... A lot of people say, um, they criticize government when they say 
Namibia's population is so small. And my view is that we, we really have the potential to create an oasis of um, a society living with at least the basic amenities. After 30 years, I would have thought at least, most people would have um, basic um, access to basic water and electricity. Most people would have at least um, accommodation, decent accommodation. Most people would at least have access to basic education. That is the bare minimum. That is what I thought we would, this is where we, I thought we would be after 30 years, but that's not the case. Not the case. Yes. You know, in 1983, I think it was, I interviewed our founding president, Sam Nyoma, and he said to me at the time, and these are his actual words, I want Namibia to be the first success story of Africa. And I thought that was very significant at the time. And, and I'm I very too, possible too. Exactly. And I too had a dream that with a small population in a big country with good, adequate resources, that we could food, feed, clothe, house, educate, everybody could have the basics. Of course, we're not there, unfortunately, as you both have pointed out. But um, what do you think, uh, Dr. Shali, about that? What would it take to make us a success story? And I don't think it was even far-fetched for the Founding Father to say those things that he said at that time. We have, as much as some people say that the fact that we have a smaller population works against us for uh, sometimes when it comes to mm -hmm. consumer and production and so on. But we also have it actually to an advantage. It, the, the very reason that we don't have a big population is the very reason why we're not supposed to be struggling. We're not supposed to have 30 years later where someone has still... It's a luxury to have clean drinking water. Mm -hmm. um, we, we're behind. But can we get to where we're supposed to be, where we're supposed to be now? I think yes. But there are a lot of things that need to be put in place. There are a lot of legacy issues. There are a lot of legacy decisions that need to be done away with and systems of ways of doing things that need to be done away with in order for us to be what we were supposed to have been already now. And we'll probably not see it in the next 10 years, but I think if we fix it now, then at least 15 to 20 years from now, then we can definitely say that we are that success story. How key, Nafamani, is education in this success story? Well, that's, that's an interesting question. And um, I say it's an interesting question because Namibians are some of the most educated people. The Namibian youth, of course, we have, we've looked at the economic recession that started, I think, two years ago. And the reason I say it's an interesting thing is because one would assume that the more educated people that you have, the more thrive in terms of industry that you're going to have. But then we have a large amount of educated people who cannot even access industries. Young educated people cannot make a change. They cannot use their skills. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's sort of um, an anomaly that first coming, coming from independence, you're saying, look, we need to educate as many people as possible. But then we have now seen that with things such as corruption, it doesn't matter how many educated people you have, because if the resources have been planted by a few, there's no space to even pay salaries. I mean, we know that we have one of the biggest wage bills in terms of the civil servants, but it clearly indicates that corruption has eroded uh, various industries to such an extent that mining companies simply cannot take in more engineers. They need to have cost-cutting measures uh, medical practices need to have cost-cutting measures. They can't take in new personnel, uh, law firms. It's, a, it's the same in every industry. So to a large extent, things such as corruption have made education redundant mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there's simply no space for 
the educated young people in the society, regardless of how highly educated you are. And I think we've seen testimony of um, people with master degrees turning into um, taxi drivers or just whatever job they can get to, uh, to, to make a salary. And that indicates to you that as much as education is important, you need a fully functioning government, you need fully functioning industries, and you need a healthy economic environment in order for education to be meaningful. And maybe just to add on what Nafimani said, it's so important that you go to school, you study something because that's the career that you want to pursue. But then what you end up pursuing is out of what is available. Mm -hmm. So what you do in your career is not set out by what you've studied, but what you can do, what is accessible to you, what is available to you. And we've seen it so many times. You'll find someone who is in a whole different industry from what they have studied. And it goes back to uh, the corruption thing. You are forced into you are forced into this corner because here, where you are qualified and certified, has been occupied by someone who knows someone or someone who has a certain connection. It just already shows that where we are now. If we have, to, if a survey needs to be done in Namibia, and we look at the people in the different. Uh, tourism uh, and the legal fraternity, marketing, journalism. If you look at the different, all the sectors, and you have to really see who is in these sectors, you'll find very much that it's either people who did a certain qualification, saw that they've been blocked or they're not getting a way through, then they had to do a secondary qualification. Or just people who have a certain qualification, but they're forced into another sector because the space here is taken up by someone who's been forced in or someone who was brought in because they know someone. I'm one of the people who believe that it's not only because of the, the qualification, but it's also about the reasoning. It helps you reason, it helps you make decisions. But but it's it's weird when you when you yeah. when you touch on the aspect of you being educated and then of course you apply for a job and it's taken up by someone who knows someone. Mm. And at the very beginning of cronyism mm. we don't see it as such. We, we, you never think um, it can go to such a large scale where a majority of educated people simply cannot get jobs unless they know someone. Exactly. And that is a problem when things like cronyism starts yeah. and li- what you term light corruption. Yeah. It starts off as something that makes sense, mm-hmm. something sure. that's pragmatic. Sure. I know that okay. Shali, therefore she should be employed exactly. instead of just having an open process where everyone applies and equally, equally and uh, the best merit can, is, the, yes. is the fact. So, so uh, I think, honestly, Namibia, 30 years down, taking uh, issues such as corruption, cronyism, and, you know, tribalism lightly mm-hmm. uh, from the beginning, you, 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 for instance, say, no, I don't want to work with Kwambis or I don't want to work with um, yeah. Afrikaners. You know, it starts off small. It's a small company that you're having right. and you want to work with specific tribes right. where you're only going to employ specific people that you know. But on the larger scale, as issues become uh, national, you then realize that cronyism is affecting the economy itself. Yes. It because it means the skills that sh- the people in the positions are not the most skilled, which means the output is also not the best output that that industry or that uh, specific parastatal could have. Exactly. So I think that also has contributed largely to why we are so far behind from the market that um, uh, we thought would be in terms of independence. So it seems you both agree uh, with something I certainly feel that there has been in place since independence almost an entitlement culture. And that entitlement culture has been who you know and what you know. And we used to call it back in the day jobs for comrades. Mm -hmm. And we started off on that foot. 
So it seems to me from what you're both saying that a certain number of people were marginalized because they didn't have that kind of access. And that would obviously include to a very large extent the youth who weren't in this club of elite uh, people. And this is, it is a problem indeed, I think. I, I think I should contradict myself here. Okay. I, I for instance, um, to a very large extent, understand jobs for comrades in the beginning, yeah. in the early 90s. I say that, I mean, of course, if you look at the Constitution, mm -hmm. things like affirmative action, they were yeah. necessary. Yeah. And but that's not necessarily the same thing. Yes, right? it's not necessarily yeah. the same thing. Yeah. I think, um, of course, jobs for comrades is sort of like a, a, a light statement. But I think what it translated to uh, uh, this more serious aspects of corruption and cronyism, things like affirmative action are understandable. Mm. Things like having 50,000 people that are coming from Angola into Namibia and the requirement for government to force them into position them. and accommodate Absolutely. them, that makes sense. It, yeah. But, you know, it makes sense within the period of uh, 1990 and, you know, people coming in. But then the moment you take that as sort of the fundamental benchmark on how you're going to operate as a government, how you're, yes, exactly. how you're going to operate as a party, I mean, imagine if you are going to employ people only based on the party they're from and you're talking about a democracy, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I think we, it then translate people, like I said again, ideology became corrupt, you know, Correct. And, and it translated to everything that is wrong with government in the current day. And to just, you said something very important when you said that at that time it made sense. And during the period of 1990, because what was the struggle there? It was, Namibia was independent. We had to put, we had to, what is it that we wanted? In the past, and Namibians could not, there was a Bantu education system. Namibians could not choose where they want to go to school. Oh. So mm. it, you, you could, it, it made sense, like Nafi said, that at that time, the jobs for comrades made sense, let's say, in a political appointment. Yeah. Then you have a technocrat position, for yeah. example. You cannot say that the same arguments that were used to put a job for comrade Mm -hmm. um, qualify, yeah. a qualifier you would you still apply it now because it yeah. is not the same yeah. now we have to make decisions now the a certain ministry needs to make a decision based on what the current economic climate is exactly. but a job for comrades person who does not meet the necessary requirements or who cannot whose mind will not be able to make the right decisions while it would have worked in 1992, 93, 94 yeah. it yeah. cannot work now because uh, the struggle then was different from the struggle now. now. And unfortunately, we've moved from that era and the jobs for comrades has continued. Exactly. The, like again, like uh, Nafi said, the well, communism... it should have been phased out. It should have sense. phased out. Yeah. It should have phased out. And that's why we're sitting with a, with a, a ballooning, continuous ballooning um, what's it, the public sector. Exactly. That again, the wage bill continues to grow. Mm -hmm. It continues to take the, a large chunk of a government's money is because it has continued. It has continued that who, who uh, although they have, they've reached 60 or 65, what the, what the um, retirement age is, they have not worked enough to, to secure enough for pension to give them five more years because they were at the front. Exactly. It has continued and has yeah. continued, but it doesn't fit now. It made sense then, then and it was working then, but not now. And it did, unfortunately though, it set the, 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 the standard, if you like, for yeah. what we're experiencing today because a lot of those people who did return from exile were put into the civil service and or the army and mm -hmm. police forces in large numbers and those bureaucracies were already fairly mm -hmm. bloated in that Swapo came to power with a policy of reconciliation and said the whites must 
stay, they mustn't go, they didn't want to use, lose skills and expertise. And I remember I argued about that at the time and said, let people go, especially those whites who have paid out their pensions in South Africa. Make that a requirement, but if they want to continue uh, in the jobs they are doing, they need to bring those pensions back. They can't have the best of both worlds. But Swapo was in very conciliatory mode at that time. And as you say, that's unfortunately what we're sitting with three decades later still. Um, And then, of course, it makes things like the struggle children, you would probably agree, slightly redundant. I'm afraid to tell you the liberation struggle. (laughs) (laughs) But there's something that um, I've picked up about uh, independence um, from the judiciary. Imagine sitting in 1989 as a judge mm-hmm. and you're applying apartheid laws and the independent the judiciary did what you call an amazing twist and they said come 1991 march all judgments if you look at the judgments are saying look we have a constitution now we need to apply the constitution it is not business as usual mm-hmm. and I, I make that example to highlight that it's important for politicians um journalists lawyers all the functionaries in society need to self-reflect at various intervals. And that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. I say it doesn't happen because um, whatever was applicable in 1990 because of the political space right. cannot be applicable in 2010. It cannot exactly. be applicable exactly. in 2020. Yeah. But you won't see it if you don't self-reflect. Yes. Yes. And that's one thing I love about the judiciary is, of course, they are bound by the Supreme Law, such as the Constitution and so forth. So, because they have to write judgments, and those judgments are subject to public scrutiny, yes, they, they, they can need be modernized. Yes, they, they need to um, really quantify why courts are thinking the way they're thinking. Mm. So it's easy for courts to self-reflect and say, "Look, I know um, this is this used to be the norm, but for instance, we need to extend human rights to this area because of constitutional principles, mm. democracy, and so yeah. forth." So yeah. th- there's no really a, a lot of space for you to. Um, be redundant or you to, or to be applying laws the same way they used to be in apartheid. Exactly. But for us, in various sectors, in politics, it doesn't happen. Yeah. A politician will have the same mindset that they had in 94. Empowerment. Exactly. Um, the founding father said we need to empower each other and by each other they're thinking swapper members only, for instance, or they're thinking these type of party members, for instance, only. And that goes on for 20, 30 years. Yes. Exactly. That is toxic. Exactly. And that I think toxic. you both hit on a very important point and that is and has been, I think, probably reflected in our last election results. Exactly what you're saying is that that sort of era of the comrade and that era of the all-powerful swapper, uh, we couldn't have had this conversation, for example, just after independence. You would have probably both been sitting there giving me power salutes. <laughs> but it's changed on, and the youth have realized that, hang on, we need to move on. Different things are coming into play here. We're not happy with the status quo. There is a lot of corruption, like it or not. The politicians keep saying it's not a problem. But I think those of us who know just in our ordinary lives, that it's become pretty endemic, that it, it is a huge concern. That's why, it, it, look, when I even, when the arguments, it was so fascinating for me to hear some of the politicians say that we don't have systemic uh, corruption exactly. in, in Namibia. It didn't make sense, and I had to actually go back and go, I had to go get the definition. Yeah. I needed to go get just the, the, the lay person's definition of systemic corruption. Correct. Let's look at what happened with Fishrod, for example. Mm-hmm. If you are going to use a system that was put in place in order for you to carry out a corrupt activity, 
that is systemic corruption. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean, and I think maybe that is what the 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 defense is here. Yeah. When you say systemic uh, corruption, we maybe feel uh, it's almost like we're trying to. Maybe the understanding is that we're saying, uh, uh, no. We are, it's allowed, but mm. that's not the case. Mm. You are, and again, it goes back. I keep saying that with corruption, it goes back to the individual. It goes back to a group of individuals mm-hmm. who decide that okay, we're going to do this together. Or I'm going to steal. I'm not going to go to work. I'll always just start work at ten. I'll go home at four, but yeah. or at three. But I'm getting paid from eight o'clock until five o'clock. Exactly. That is, but it is systemic because I'm using the system. Let's say we have a system of. Um, when you when you go away with SMT, mm-hmm. it's a system that we have exactly. in place of SMT. Exactly. Now, what do I do? I fake plan yeah. a, a trip somewhere. I I can do it from my office. Yeah. I can send an email, but I fake plan somewhere just so that I can get that money. It's corruption. Mm. It's systemic. Mm. But uh, Dr. Shali, can I also add that we tend to look at government and we look at leadership and say it's all corrupt there, people who have the power. But we need to maybe look, and I'm sure the youth are concerned about that, the actual moral fiber. And when I say moral fiber, I'm not talking about religion. I'm just talking about the the, the rights and wrongs of Namibian society. And exactly what you're saying now is happening on a smaller scale. Let's say any employed person thinks that that 15 days sick leave is an entitlement. That in itself is a form of corruption by saying, I will be sick simply to make use of those 15 days, even though I'm not really sick. So I think we have a bigger problem here than just corruption in the sort of upper Mm -hmm. echelons, but also that sort of trickle-down effect where everybody is thinking, I can do the same. And this is where I wanted to ask you, coming really back to the youth here. How does the youth feel about that? How can... We hear the youth saying, we're tired of this old leadership, Mm. and I have full uh, sympathy for that. What are the youth, if they come to power and they slowly get into office, how and what are they going to do differently? And where are those strong role models among the youth that we've agreed in earlier chats we don't have among the elders? If you have to think now and you ask, who is your hero? Who do you admire? You'd be hard-pressed to come up with a name and know you're right. But now... Um, well, there are a few, they're not necessarily in, in government though, um, but what about the youth? Is there the talent, is there the potential, is there the ethical commitment mm-hmm. among, let's say, certain sectors of the youth at any rate to take this baton and run with it and make Namibia that success story? Is it there? I, even just before, and that's why I said with, with regards to corruption, it goes down to the individual. I don't think that it's a planned, it can't be a Namibia or a government or it might, it's, it starts with the individual. That's number one. With the youth, I think that we have youth, we have people in places. Um, and it's like uh, Nafimana said earlier when we were chatting about what Aristotle said that the issue is that those the smart people, uh, yes, they want to be led by the uh, politicians or they think that they should not become the politicians, the ones with lower class should become the politicians. So then you're led by someone who can't reason. So we have mm. the people, but are they ready to step up in that leadership and go into politics? And go into mm. politics because we are forgetting that. Um, as much as you are a leader in a, let's say an executive um, director position in a, in a in not in a parastata or even in a in a private company, we are led by politics. Mm. A democracy is a polit- politically led um, ca- 
space. It's yeah. a, a democratic country is politically led, and we're not the people who us. I think that the people who have the capacity, the people who are asking the questions, the nafi manirim, who are asking the questions, who are interrogating. Those type of people are not stepping up to be in the political spaces, yeah. and then you find find the the let's say the um, hand clappers who don't really understand, and they are so indo- not indoctrinated, but they've uh, um, they've conditioned themselves in such a way that I need to sound political. Okay. I need to I, I need to if if my senior leader if these are their beliefs, I need to believe in this also and push that belief yeah. in order for me to fall in favor so that I'm being prepared to, when they one day leave, I then step in. Exactly. But there is criticism there. So I will never, the person who is in that political space will feel that I cannot attack this person. I cannot interrogate this person because that means I fall out of favor and they are the decision makers. Exactly. But I'll interrupt there, Nafi, just mm-hmm. to ask you also quickly, um, it seems to me that there's, from everything that's been said and looking at also our election results and so on, that there's a little bit of fatigue or weariness mm. with a ruling party, that they've got what it takes to make the change that we need to really go forward mm. as a progressive nation in which all of its people have enough. Um, that's the bottom line, yes. isn't it? We, we want our people to have enough. My question to you would be, does the current political environment allow uh, for that. You look at the ruling party, I mean, for example, going to the election booth in uh, last year, who do you vote for? Are the alternatives currently really there where people feel, hang on, this party, this group really stands for what we believe in? And is there not room for the youth to create that alternative? Our political landscape is a bit tired, really. Uh, how do we create a new environment, perhaps in this new spirit of independence that now seems to be an important word when it comes to politics? Is that, can we get there? Yeah, I think um, the old cliche that um, you need to know where you came from in order for you to know where you're going comes into play here. And let's just look at um, apartheid era. Greed is um, endemic in society. Everyone is. So you have three types of people during apartheid. You have the apartheid government, you have people who are greedy in society, and you have people who are saying, we are going to go out and fight. Okay? So in the current landscape, who do we have? We have the, the government that is leading, we have the people that are looting, then you have the youth. The question then comes here. If the youth is going to take a political space, what is their ideology? Yeah. And we realize if if you relate it back to apartheid, the people who decided were going to go out and fight, the ideology was quite clear. What are you fighting for? We're fighting for the political independence. How do you want to do that? Two things. One, we're going to take up arms. Mm-hmm. Two, we are going to lobby the international community. So they had very clear objectives. One, they had identified what the issue was. Secondly, they had the ideology that what we want is governance. We want... Uh, of course, human rights and equality were sub-structures um, in the yes, major yeah. political uh, fight. So, of course, those people went out and they fought. Those that remained and had correctly, like you're saying, you know, the moral decay, you know, lack of moral fiber, they stayed and as, as we know them, they joined the Kubut and so forth, and then the government was still there fighting against those that were trying to attain political independence. Today, if you were now looking at the political... Um, the political party that is heading the country, and you're saying, well, let's look at alternatives. The alternatives, even if it's from the youth, because alternatives can come from 
I mean, uh, senior citizens as well. Yep. And of course, the progressive ones would come from the youth because the youth um, have energy. And of course, the people of today know better about where we are going to be tomorrow. So you should then ask, we, we should ask ourselves as young people, what is our ideology moving forward? The country is already politically, uh, yep. you know, the yep. political independence is here. Yep. Of course, you hear rhetoric about economical independence and so forth. And that is that would be a good direction to go. As you're saying, people are tired and the political space we don't really have um, um, a way of ass assessing whether the policy of the government of the day is even sound for tomorrow. Exactly. So what we, the young people, what we, the, what we should do is first, we should identify a clear ideology. Mm -hmm. Because if we then identify a clear ideology and say, look, we want to fight for the economic emancipation of our children tomorrow, yeah. it's easier then for us to have a conversation and talk to the masses and say, look, we have political independence. And I say this because... Most of the old guns, in terms of the old voters, are still stuck on you know the euphoria of political independence that, as you said, happened in 1990. Mm -hmm. So it's quite difficult for you to garner support from them. What are you bringing? Yeah. Swapo has already liberated the country. Yeah, exactly. When you, when you talk of, is there an alternative? Mm -hmm. The alternative has to be specific in terms of, what, why, should you, why should there be an alternative? Yeah. I know we're suffering, but yeah. people will ask you, and why are you the alternative? Yeah. Exactly. And what what is are your goals and your objectives? Yes. This is important, I think, and that's often lost. Yeah. Yes. I think when it comes to it's a question I ask myself. Um, capitalism thrives because most human beings are inherently greedy, but they are turnable. Like you, you can basically um, convince someone that, look, um, the moral standing um, that, you know, the, 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 the moral uh, degradation in society is bad and we should move towards this ideology. You can do that. And as, as, as we've seen Swapo during the apartheid days, mm. was able to turn many people and tell them that, look, my brother, my sister, mm. I know you're in the government or I know you're assisting the apartheid government, but it's wrong. Mm. And a lot of people said, wow, I, oh, that's quite true. If, if we're looking at government today, most of the people are floating about I say floating about in the sense that a young person, you come, you're employed under someone who for all purposes appears to be a good standing uh, member of society. Yeah. They lure you and they teach you corrupt tactics here and there. Mm. But somehow deep down, if there was a strong movement against that, you would most likely mm. join them. Mm. Most young people are like that. I, I look yeah. at young people in yeah. um, who are part of corruption today. I know deep down, I look at them and I see they don't really want to partake in some of these corrupt activities. Mm. But there's also no alternative. Mm. We don't have a, a yeah, large yeah, that, we don't have sad. a large group of young people who say we stand against corruption. Mm. Truly. Truly. Exactly. Truly, yes. Yeah. We, we don't have that. And even on the ones that are coming out, and I don't want to mention any no, names no. at all. The ones who are coming out they, the fight or they're starting to become questionable because placed in a position where they're compromised, they get compromised. Exactly. Like they place themselves in a, in a position of compromise with certain decisions that they make. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I don't know if, if Nafi, you would, I, I can't identify anybody. Mm -hmm. I can identify that they are a group of people, mm -hmm. especially I think the young professionals who have the capacity. Yeah. To, to form decisions yeah. that and they can they have the capacity to form to make certain decisions but also to be able to be prepared yes. to, uh, to into leadership but then 
it's and if, you, if, if, if I may say, you look at, um, it's not to say nothing is happening among yes. the youth. If you look at something you're involved in, I think, which is Global Shapers, yes. where there seems to be an intent behind that, yes. which is why I talk about goals and objectives. Because if I had to ask either of you, where do you want to be in 10 years' time? I know, as an individual, I know I'll get very clear answers from yes. the two of you. And this is something I do when I mentor young people, because it's good to have that goal that passionate goal where you think, I need to be here. Mm -hmm. We need to do the same with our country. And we need to set us goals and objectives. I often say if I was the president, and I'm going to ask you that question shortly, one of the things I would have done immediately, many years ago, and I wrote about it, was say to my education minister, your goal is in a year's time to have a library in every school in the Nepal. Mm -hmm. And if you can't and you don't do it, there's the door. We need to be, I think, getting tough at, at all levels, really. And I'd like to see the same thing from the youth. In other words, the youth saying, hang on, this is where we want to be in international politics. We need to hear our government being more outspoken about human rights issues or violations in other countries. Myself as a journalist, I also want to see our country. And by the way, one of the good things about Namibia right now is we're still number one in the Africa Press Freedom Rankings. Um, but I want to see that translated into the fact that our president or our information minister or whatever can condemn another African country when they arrest journalists and suppress freedom of speech or shut down the internet. I want to see that translated into a tangible commitment. And, and this is where I think the youth can get cues from that. And if you set those sort of targets, I think you will get where you want to be. But let me cut short, Nafi, can I ask you, because we may be running out of time, I want to ask you the question, if you were president for the day, what would you do right off the bat? And I know it's not an easy question, but just what do you think you would do? Well, you say it's not an easy question and it's not, um, I think it's not an easy question because um, we're so far down in terms of um, uh, problematic areas that there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But if there's something I would do is um, the most effective for me, I think, for a day would definitely be to downsize on the uh, redundant positions in the civil servant. Okay. I, I think immediately if our president for a day and just dismiss if it's a ministry and they have two deputy directors or two, I think immediately cut all of that. Okay. And I say that because the bureaucracy, the red tape it creates okay. on top of um, the fact that there's no money. And the cost. Yeah, the cost yeah. of, of yeah. having redundant positions yeah. in the civil servant. That, that would be the first thing I would do. I think that's interesting because you're absolutely right. I think everybody looks at that and says we have to cut the fat at the top. And I think you probably want to emphasize the top also. Because as soon as you talk about redundancy in the civil service, you're playing with people's jobs and their lives. And this, as you know, is a very big political football. I think that our powers that be realize that our civil service is bloated. But if they start getting rid of positions from the bottom, it's going to cause probably civil instability. Yeah. So that, But I think you're absolutely right. And according to what we hear, this is something the president says he plans to do round about now yeah. or independence. So let's see. The test will be in the next I, I couple of weeks. One of the biggest reasons also I'll yeah. start at the top is if you look at... Um, modern corruption, mm. I mean the normalization of corruption, yeah. it comes from the notion, especially at, uh, at the bottom of the civil servant or at the um, bottom officials, blue collar officials, um, upcoming white collar sure. officials, if the people have a presumption that people at the top are eating, it trickles down. Yeah. Yes. But, but of course, if, if you start 
um, correcting things at the top, it trickles down as well. I hope you, you're right. Yes. I'd love to see that happen because I often feel that, that our corruption is becoming endemic in, in, in a moral sense in Namibia. I worry about that a lot. But you would, you would fear if it's coming from the top because now the reason why people are so... Are, it, it, they're fine with or it's easy. It has become so easy. It has become normal to even uh, tell your child that why did you steal a pencil at school? Mommy could have just brought you a box from work. I mean that it has become so normal. No, so, but if it if I do believe that it starts from the top, and the top is punished and held accountable, at the bottom you will be afraid not to take the whole box to even exactly. take one pen. And you're setting an example, yes. which is so yes. very necessary. Yes. Dr. Charlie, what about you, President for the day? What you're going to do? Definitely leadership. I think most of many of our problems is from leadership, and it's not it's capacity. Mm-hmm. I think that we have. Um, we have the wrong people sometimes in the wrong places. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way. It doesn't help. You have you have a you have a minister. You have the two deputy ministers. You have yeah. the executive director. Yeah. But it, it is in the agriculture ministry. But the executive director knows nothing about agriculture. Mm-hmm. So even if you have a budget that is brilliant, that is more than enough, mm-hmm. if that person who holds the the purse of that ministry yeah. does not know agriculture does not know that future and let's say it does not know that okay now we have to start looking at futuristic farming I need to direct this money here and we're going to continue failing right. we're going to continue having issues so for, I think my mind would be correct capacity in leadership that okay. is the first thing I'll change leadership by getting the a right capacity right in the right place. Yes. And often that's a criticism level, for example, at Paris State, yes. which are continually failing. Board from and the board members, from the executive yeah. directors, the ministers, and exactly. the CEOs also in Paris State, everybody. And I often say that to people because they say, you know, you can be a very skilled person in a certain area, but put me mm. in charge of a bank for a day and I'm probably going to mess things up horribly because I don't have that, yeah, that skill. The knowledge or, or the skill set that is, is required. Um, just to get on to another quick question for both of you, and that is another short question. If you were an unemployed youth today, and there are a lot of them out there, what do you think they would prefer? A roof over their heads, or a job, or a piece of land? I think a job, if, if I should be um, a job because then I'm immediately looking at continuous income because there's nothing I can do I can't do anything if I have a roof over my, my head there's still water that needs to be paid electricity rate and taxes the same with land you can give me a piece of land if I cannot develop it what am I going to do with it even to set up to put up a corrugated iron shack I need money for that so I think I'll definitely go for the job and then from the see now how I'm going to whether it's save or whatever but I'm immediately looking at the income that's coming in and then everything else I can get Put from in place. Yes. I asked that question, Nafimani, for mm-hmm. a reason and that is because there is a thinking and it seems to be among the youth because there are movements that are uh, working in this direction that it somehow is an entitlement that every Namibian is entitled to a piece of land or a farm. Can I is just, this realistic? Please give me Can more. I just say one thing? You may. I agree with um, Dr. Washali but for a different reason. Okay. I think uh, the average youth would want um, but, uh, no a job, a job um, yeah. or a salary, but not per se because the we, have, we young people believe they can't develop the land, they can't get assistance, but because young people have created a culture of instant gratification. Yes, 
Mm. I don't think, in all honesty, because I say this because if you look at the red line, mm. I'm, I'm from Novamberland, and right. there are a lot of people in Novamberland, and in Novamberland we had land. Uh, in fact, our parents are complaining and saying, look, we have so much land, you should do something with the land. Mm. Yes. But we don't, because, not because we don't believe that the, the land will bear fruits, but it takes time, and we, the young people don't have that culture of waiting anymore. Exactly. And that's what corruption does to a society. Like I said, it trickles down. So we young people, we see um, today someone is driving a Polo, tomorrow they're driving a Range Rover or whatever, and we want that to happen with ourselves as well. So I don't right. have time the to microwave be... microwave nation. Yes, yeah. I don't have time to be cultivating land. But nothing would you yeah. take up, because I was speaking from a point of land in the urban area. You can get, um, what am I going to do if I don't have it? I have no income. Right. Um, unless I tell myself, I even think even to, to, even to be an entrepreneur, you need to start with something. And right. access to funding now, unfortunately, mm-hmm. again, it goes back to leadership because you'll find the NCRST, for example, is an entity such as that, was put in place to look at what is it that Namibia is doing creatively right. and let's fund that. They are so close that they are uh, so close, uh, uh, like, okay, who is who talking about? Let's fund there. But yeah. they don't have the capacity to actually go in and say, that, let's fund here. And so I can't even risk that. If you tell me today, Nafi, or if you have to choose today, in an urban inventor that you need to choose between a house, a plot, and a job. No, I hear you, but I mean, mo- yeah. mo- most young people, I mean, even if you said you're going to service it, Correct. And, and let me extend the argument yes. further. Even if you said, okay, it's not urban land, it's farmland. Right. If you say, look, yeah. you are unemployed, we'll yeah. give you farmland, we'll give you an official in the ministry who's going to assist you, the seeds or whatever, everything that you need. I'm telling you, most young people will choose a job because most young people have that culture of instant gratification. I want so? a salary. I, I've, I've seen it. And the example that I make of the North, you, you, you will find people who have food in the North. Yeah. You unemployed people. Yeah. Right. They live in the homesteads. Right. There's food in the North. Right. There's land, ample land. But they'll travel to Vintuk to come look for employment. Uh, I see. I see. Yes. Okay, that's very interesting. Yes. Because don't forget, I think, I mean, we can't get into too much detail, but yes. obviously we have organizations now. You can look at affirmative repositioning, you can look at landless people's movement, who seem to imply that this is the biggest issue of all. And I constantly find myself arguing with myself about this and saying, because it applies to me, I think I'm one of the only people who turned down veterans' benefits, which was a farm in 200,000. Mm-hmm. Because I thought to myself at the time, first, I don't believe in any kind of entitlement or reward for struggle cre- uh, credentials. Secondly, I'd love to have a little water hole somewhere where I go and wash the kudu to drink. But put me in charge of a farm, and I'm not going to be a productive citizen for Namibia because I don't know how to farm. So I'm thinking this is a very important question that doesn't seem to really be tackled. Yeah. It's an aspiration it's that land. it's the solution, yeah. but it's, it's not the solution, is it? And I look back over the newspapers, and years ago we reported when the struggle children became a phenomenon not mm-hmm. long after independence, and they were given resettlement farms. And it didn't work, and they're all back in the city, and they're still asking for jobs. So I think these systems also, and if... If, like how Nafi uh, put it, yes. if, if you give me a piece of land 
and, and you, I'm working together with agriculture, I'm going to support you. Even with a plot, if you tell me that, okay, you give me a plot, I'm going to support you, I will not build a house on that plot. I'll build a business on it. I'll say that, no, can I, I want to do accommodation or restaurant or whatever. But it's the support there. And unfortunately, that's the thing. And I think maybe, or my thinking is that the reason why most of the answers would go to the employment way at least you have this income and then you can now decide yes i'm gonna buy a a plot yes i'm gonna build a a, a what's an oh. entertainment establishment whatever but unfortunately the support now it's support now i have no i don't have enough faith in it to say that i'm willing to to risk this and then i'm sitting there with oh. this plot I've applied 20,000 times. I can't get it because yeah. corruption does not allow it because allow I'm not who is child. I'm not who is child. I don't have this name and therefore I don't have access to that. Now, but on the issue of land and whether that's the solution, when you, while you have instant gratification in a lot of members in society, you also have instant solutions. A lot of African governments mm. believe in the concept of instant solutions. Mm. I totally understand the difficulty that mm. you raise in the issue of whether someone is going to be productive or not, but yeah. if we're looking at the long run, yeah. you, as a government, you need to have programs that yield results, of course, short term, then there should be some programs that uh, yield results in the long run. Right. And again, I need to go back to apartheid and, mm -hmm. and just to um, show you that most of the people that were given land in modern farm, commercial, commercial farm areas right now, they were not natural farmers. Yeah. Were, no one was born innately a farmer. Yeah. But they learned. The yes, hard they way. learned the hard way. You know, people yeah. were suffering in South Africa. And they said, "Look, there's Namibia here. There's uh, land that is available. Sure. Well, mm -hmm. Either you stay in in Johannesburg or, and die, or you go and you learn how to farm." Yeah. And it didn't take ten years. It didn't take twenty years. Eventually, after a long yeah. time, people are calling, calling themselves farmers. Yes. The word "bura" means yeah. farmer. Exactly. Yes. So I think. And for me, speaking from an Ovampo culture where they say, look, it's either you're going to do the work that I'm telling you to do or you're going to die. And if we're looking at the economic yeah. times, if there is a possibility of putting people on farmlands and forcing them, of course, perhaps they'll fight it in the beginning and they'll be unskilled. But in the long run, unless we're looking for instant solutions, yeah. in the long run, yeah. it's going to be more viable in terms of uh, solutions to yeah. the economic crisis mm, right. than having people floating about in the cities in the cities is unemployed and exactly so yes but again as you say it requires planning and it requires research and it requires help for those people and i think a, a genuine um intention of finding a solution because if you're yeah. doing it for cosmetic reasons and you're putting people on farms and you're not you know following up and making sure that people are exactly. there and they're being productive. And rendering the support. Like yes, that the doesn't make sense. A lot of, because you go back to, there is no way that you can, like someone who grew up in Ovambo land, mm. there is no way that you can say that that person cannot be resettled on a farm because they don't have the skills. Because mm. in Ovambo land, as a child, you grow up herding, exactly. you know exactly when the cows and the, the livestock needs to go, drink water, it needs to come exactly. back. You know exactly when, you, when before the rains, when to, yeah. to plant, when to plow and everything else. Mm. That is farming. Yes, but exactly. now you put this person in a commercial setting where they need to not they only maintain, but generate, generate. You yeah. can't just place the person there while they're coming from a communal yeah. a, 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 a subsistence farming and then you place them in a commercial farming setting, yeah. no support, nothing. And yeah. then at the end of the day, you want to say that no, not everybody can be, uh, uh, not everybody can be, 
can be um, put on a farm because that's how they fail. But yeah. did you render the necessary support? Exactly. You see, I look at something in a, maybe a very simplistic viewpoint and I admit it and I look at, uh, at the recent drought which hopefully has been broken in most parts of the country but you look at the people saying they are 60,000 head of cattle or whatever the figure was died in the current drought. And I'm saying to myself, why? Why? Why are they dying? Why are we not slaughtering them before they die? We have a lot of hungry people in this country and why are we not anticipating that my land cannot support a hundred head of cattle, therefore I will slaughter X and I will feed the local community. Why are they just dying? But anyway, that's probably a I question to, for another day. I used day. to ask myself the same yeah. question as a small child. And then people will talk to me about the spirit needs to yes. eat the body and things like that. Guys, we're getting to the end here and we haven't tackled nearly all the topics I want to. Can I ask you just briefly a question about, because the Namibia Media Trust is also all about media and things media. Yeah. Youth of today are obviously flocking uh, to, to social media. Um, I understand a, an address I made at a, a schools a week ago, and when I asked kids to put hands up where you're accessing your news and information, and I thought Facebook would dominate, it doesn't. Mm. The youth are on Instagram now in large numbers. Mm. I'm talking now yeah. scholastic youth. Um, and obviously Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp is huge. Um, and people aren't really reading newspapers anymore, and they often don't involve themselves enough in caring about their communities and what's happening. And, Dapushali, you know about this as a journalist, that they are a little bit disconnected on social media and following the Kardashians, and not only doing silly stuff, but a lot of it is silly, asinine uh, stuff, instead of really taking an interest in their communities. Fishrod seem to have turned that around yeah. a bit. How do we, and do either of you see this as a concern among the youth that they really need to read more and become more literate and more involved in what is happening in their communities and not just on a superficial level, but to really change Can, can I speak before that, please, Rochelle, please, because, please. because I know you're both in, okay. in, 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 the, media. in the media. Right. Well, yes, the concerns are genuine, number one, and something has to be done, but my view is a bit uh, devil advocate-ish. Mm -hmm. I think there's a duty on the media to explain its role. Okay. I say that because if you look at other entities, many other entities, they, they explain what they're doing, their purpose and the ambits of how they work. There's a lot of misconceptions from us. I mean, yeah, spe yeah. speaking yeah. As, as, as a professional, even from me, there's so much I don't understand about the media. Mm. If propaganda comes and says, um, the, the media, certain media house has its own agenda and it's pushing an agenda, yeah. I don't really have information where I can look up and say, well, what really is the agenda of that exactly. news newspaper yeah. article? I mean, what is the agenda of the newspaper house? You know, things like that. Yeah. So I think... So there's a kind of suspicion. Yes. But not just a suspicion. It's, there's also an absence of information to rebut that suspicion. Mm -hmm. And I say that there's a role on the media to explain... I mean, I mean, there's a responsibility on the media to explain its role yeah. so that we understand the importance. You know, the freedom of the press, the freedom of expression, these are constitutional embodiments. Yeah. And they're not there for child's play. These are important constitutional exactly. embodiments. Exactly. Uh, so I think the media also needs to um, inform most of the young people that, look, we're not writing stories for... Uh, you know, uh, gratification, so gratification or, or political, or political affiliation or political yeah. agendas, yeah. but you know, we serve a, consti a, a important constitutional purpose, yeah. and that is why we are saying the youth should engage the media. Mm. And then, 
Mm-hmm. It's then for the youth to say, oh, now I understand. Yeah. Because the youth is on social media for things like, um, for many reasons, but most mostly for entertainment. Yeah. Right. Because they know if I go on Facebook, I'll perhaps get something funny. Or if I go on yeah. YouTube, I'll get something funny. Yeah. So if you want the media, to, uh, my love for reading newspapers was instilled by my father. Mm. And he always told me, you need to know what's going on in the country. Exactly. So it makes sense for me to continue reading newspapers until now. And then occasionally go and look for entertainment on social media. But the modern youth, the, I mean, the family disparities, they might have grown up in an era where parents are not at home or yeah. that type of leadership is not yeah. there at the home level. So they think social media is where it's at. And you need then as a media house, you need them as a media community to say the importance of reading newspapers, the importance of engaging the media on that platform is this. You need to get the accurate information because, of course, the fake news... Um, yeah. phenomenon now where yes. anyone can photoshop anything and put the Namibian logo or exactly. sun newspaper and that happens a lot it's quite rife yes so yes. you the, the purpose of reading newspapers has to be explained especially exactly. to the youth of today the yeah. 2000 era people need to know why should I read the newspaper yeah well, no, why is Mani, it I think that's a point yeah. well taken and I, and I think hopefully those media practitioners who are listening will, will take note of that mm-hmm. because it's very important that they regain trust if you like and credibility among the people and that's the way to go. But just to add to what you've said, and also to play devil's advocate, that same youth that are critical of the agenda of the what we call the traditional media, which is newspapers, print, and, and television, don't use that same discernment when they're online, I'm afraid, or on WhatsApp. And as you know, disinformation, which is deliberate misinformation, lies, in other words, proliferates on social media. It's a lot less easy for a an ordinary media establishment like a newspaper to get away with doing that sort of thing. They wouldn't. They'd be uh, taken to court straight away. So as I say, I wish exactly, I want to reverse the argument on you and say, I'd like to see a more discerning youth on social media and thinking before they unpass what is clearly disinformation. I'm going to just, do you want to add something very quickly, Dr. Shirley, to that? Nafi is is correct in it, and it has to do with Unfortunately, yes, the youth of today, these kids are not, they look, they're they are younger than Tilitabis yeah. are. Yes. You, we have to, as traditional media houses, even in radio, mm-hmm. uh, now where there's this whole, with, with where I am, where talk radio is doing a thing now, but mm-hmm. as traditional media, we have to move with the times. It can no longer be just a newspaper alone. The newspaper, it, it's not enough. It has to be newspaper with social media. Correct. And the same way that you, you, cannot, you, you cannot have the 800 with because unfortunately you do, the young kids or even just the, the uh, adults. Yes, attention span to read something, that an article is 800 words or even 450 words on social media. We have to find another way to, the, the way the consumer, how they consume news in a newspaper is not the same way they would do it on Instagram or Correct. Twitter or Facebook. Correct. And we have the duty. And again also, I've seen it with so many times when people say, yeah, but you didn't do A, B, C, D. And it, I've, I've, I've been guilty yeah. of that before. If somebody does not understand how the story came about, mm. what the story is, I won't even explain it. Mm. And yes, there we have the duty as journalists because I don't think any of us journalists would ever even think of, let's take a Saturday and let's just have like a 
uh, talk somewhere where you say, do you want to see it? Do you yeah. want to understand the, the media? Or let me go live on Instagram and say, like, ask, ask me questions. Me ask yes, me questions. Exactly. Let me explain to you what the media, let me explain to you how the story comes about. Let me explain to you the reason why there is so much, uh, uh, there's so much, so many stories about black black people so many black people implicated in, in it or most of the stories that you read on corruption yes. it has involves black people and, and, and less of white people I can explain that if you look at the exactly. the, the population of Namibia 70% is pro- and these figures are made up but yeah. 70% majority is black 90. people so yeah. you will you will naturally because of the numbers, but also because there's a lot of pub, uh, uh, publics uh, or a lot of reporting in regarding public funds and who heads those public funds. And again, also if you look at the private sector, the CEOs you have black, uh, you have white company, white owned companies, but they will most likely put a black CEO there, a black financial oh. manager, black oh. face there. Tokenism exactly. And yeah. who do I call as a journalist when I need to want answers to say that you guys, um, you guys unfairly dismissed. These people, I need to call the CEO. Who's the CEO? It's not Jan van Riep or Jan Man or whatever, yeah. who is the owner of the company. It's Peter Shilongo who's the CEO yeah. of the company. Yeah. So, but those are things you need to explain. Also, to explain why is it that I'm not writing as much about KPMG or any other white owned entity? It's because I don't have access to the information. Mm. I don't have access to it because they're so closed off. The access to information bill that we're working on, a law that we're working on, it's not just for the public sector, it's for everybody. Yes, yes. Now, I think that's true, Dabo Shali. And just to say, in the wider context, I think what I'm more concerned about, obviously, is these hard fought for freedoms. Yes. Which including uh, freedom of the media, free speech, and expression. Yes. Because I think people don't often realize, and again, Nafimani has pointed that out, they don't know that that our freedoms are no more than anybody else's, where you work in journalism, and that if those freedoms are eroded, then so will theirs go. So my concern is that we don't, because Afrobarometer also show the declining levels of trust in press freedom in Africa, and how to convince people that this is not our freedom, this is your freedom Mm -hmm. we're talking about here. But finally, guys, and I think we But we are at fault. I should accept that really we don't, journalists, we don't put a, a job the other day also said, journalists are not coming out to write books and we are the ones who are at the core of when we write so many stories about a certain topic we don't write books and we are the ones who are sitting with the information and so I should say that we are at fault in certain levels that the misunderstanding about the media out there do we really put in the effort to make people understand Understand what what does it mean that fourth estate is what does it mean for us to chase a story to bring the story out that's right although again uh, Nafimani, for example, has started writing some pieces uh, for the Namibian. Yeah. And again, it's often you see that people are very, very critical of the media, and I've seen that on Twitter, not you personally, <laughs> but people are very, very critical. All of a sudden, they get their opinion piece published, and they suddenly, wow, praising the media. <laughs> so they know where to go when they need them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's also worth saying. Guys, just to finalize, thank you both so much for those very interesting perspectives. We could have talked another three hours, I know, and we wouldn't exhaust. But let me ask you both the final question, which is, what are you both going to be doing on Independence Day? Well, um, personally, I think... To going to the stadium. No, to answer that, I, I think first I'll have to indicate what independent celebrations is for me. Sure. Because there's a misconception on what independence exactly. celebration is. And I, I, I firmly believe in celebrating the people that fought for independence. Firmly. I say firmly because I look at society now 
And we are struggling to be brave even with the lightest of things. There's no death that um, will arise. At least um, we, we know well enough that you can be an activist now without a lot of harm coming to you. But even that is something a lot of young mm, people true. are not willing to do. That's why we're not in politics. You're scared of losing your job or you're scared of losing, falling out of favor with someone. And that's just money. Yeah. So for me to think that some people were willing to risk their lives, it's, it's a big thing. It's not something that you can water down exactly. regardless of the current political climate, regardless of the current economic climate, where people perhaps have the idea that we should not um, overemphasize the importance of those that fought for independence because things are so bad right. currently. I don't believe that. So what I'll be doing, what is what I do all the time, um, I sit at home, I sing liberation songs, I watch... Um, all uh, liberation videos, uh, I, I sort of just um, allow remind all of yes, I remind myself that look, yeah. this is not really about whoever sure. is in government right now and is messing up, it's not about them. It's really about everyone yeah. else who was willing to die, literally die. Their blood won't yes. freedom. Yes, I, I, I feel that um, uh, that should be honored, and that's what Independence Day is about. And maybe before I ask you just to say, it's also just recently been Women's Day. Yes. And again, we talk about the struggle. We often forget when we raise our monuments and street names that we forget about the woman's role in that struggle. Yes. And I often think we need a woman's monument to celebrate what they did in those years because I know the suffering that they, that they had. Mm -hmm. So maybe let's not forget that when we celebrate mm -hmm. independence. Stavoshali, your views? What will you do? I'll probably be live tweeting because I'll be working. Okay. <laughs> That's the media. Okay. Um, I will be covering the the probably be covering the the uh, event. But then also yes, I can never. It was I found it beyond words. Uh, my jaw dropped when I heard people saying that let's boycott because yeah. I have that image. I have that image of um, yeah. of people waking up and you wake up and you say that I'm going. I might die. And in fact, as you wake up, there are people coming to say that who, who died? Who is dead? No, the job or landmine. There's no way. In. It's almost like someone yeah. is going to look at me in my eyes and ask me, one of those people who have died, to say that, so you feel I should not yeah. be saying. And you see, you feel that the day when I went out, knowing I might not come back, and I was shot, you feel that that is not worth celebrating. Yeah. You know, so I will probably be working. And yeah, I'm definitely going to be listening to the Dilimani songs. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'll definitely celebrate. I think no matter how, even a hundred years from now, there's no way we can ever um, disregard what was done for us to obtain independence. I fully agree with you. And we can be very critical of the political yes. realities and what and we is should or be. isn't We should be critical. But that day is a day we all Reflect. have to celebrate yes. because we wouldn't want it any other way. Yes. And that was what independence was all about, the chance for us also, not to only succeed, but to make our own mistakes Yes. Um, that weren't imposed on us by somebody else. And yes, we make mistakes, but hopefully you, the youth, are galvanizing behind the scenes and we're going to see big change by the time the next 10 years comes around. I probably won't be here, but I do hope that we are further ahead than we are right now yeah. as a country. Thank you both very Thank much. You so Thank much you very much, Gwen. Ooh, I think we went horribly over time. Huh?